Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, I am preaching a sermon entitled, The Power to Evolve. The Power to Evolve. The Power to Evolve. And what is to evolve? Evolve is to grow, to alter, to transform, to convert into a greater version of yourself. A better version of yourself. An improved version of yourself a more glorious version of yourself. Because without the power to evolve, you die. Without the power to adapt to the changing age or ages or eons, the Bible says that by faith we understand that the worlds, the ages, the eons were framed by the word of God. It's in the foundation of divine thought for ages to change. It is the will of God that the times you're in now are greater than the times you were in before. It is a law indelible that has been planted and established before even man walked this earth that our God is a God of progress. Our God is a God of advancement. Our God is a God of growth. Our God is a God of transformation. Our God is a God of conversions. And every day, he has designed your life to adapt to a greater glory. His mercies are new every morning. You're growing from grace to grace. You're growing from faith to faith. All of that is a pattern that God has designed by that law to make sure that today you're better than you were yesterday and tomorrow you're going to be better than you are today in every aspect of your life. God has designed us to evolve. Somebody shout hallelujah. Those of us who understand how the world works and have been around for some time, we have studied different entities, institutions, companies, businesses, in the time where God had released greater wisdoms and some entities or businesses did not adapt or evolve into what God was doing. And every one of them, if it is not dead now, it is struggling to survive in this age. Because that's what happens. If you don't evolve, you start to die. That is why some Christians use the word stuck. I am stuck. I'm stuck in my marriage. I'm stuck in my career. I'm stuck in my ministry. I am stuck in my health. I am stuck in my dreams. I'm stuck in my aspirations. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Pastor, I'm stuck. Pray for me. I feel I'm stuck. I feel like nothing is moving. No doubt, it's not just changing here because change can be positive or adverse. Good or negative. We're talking about forward change. That's evolving. Somebody say hallelujah. Those of us who read the story or have heard of the company called Kodak, we grew up in the years of what they used to call Kodak moments. Who remembers those moments? And Kodak, if your father had a Kodak, you were rich. If you took a picture with a Kodak, oh my goodness. There was no camera. Kodak was the camera. 
Like in our day when you'd say that there are only two cars in the world, Mercedes-Benz and the rest. So during that time, there were only two kinds of cameras in the world, Kodak and the rest. And I'm told that the first prototype of digital camera was developed within the Kodak company. And when they tried to convince the owners to take it on, they said, no, we cannot go into digital cameras. We will lose money in the films. Because remember, they were making money with the boxes and the films. You remember those films? The small little plastic tape that used to run into a camera. You put it in and then lock. And then it used to have frames where you take, and then they take it in a dark room and then develop photos. But they did not evolve. The Bible says that wisdom is the mother of all witty inventions. That means that if it's advantageous to man, it has a hand of God in it, whether the man who invented it knows God or doesn't. It's just a vessel. Proverbs 8, 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out the knowledge of witty inventions. And because they delayed to catch on, other companies caught on, and a few years later, Kodak was indebted. And I believe, I think, at one point even filed for bankruptcy. Other parties had to come in to help it float. And that did not only happen to Kodak. Read the story of IBM. Read the story of Yahoo. Read the story of Xerox. Read the story of Blockbuster. When they delayed to evolve and Netflix took over. How many of you have forgotten Nokia? How many of you have forgotten Blackberry? How many of you have forgotten Motorola? There was a time when there were two kinds of phones only, Nokia and the rest. I remember the first time those Nokia phones came when our SIM cards were very expensive. And I remember the first Nokia my father had. You couldn't even put it in the pocket. It used to move here. Oh my goodness. Even the neighbors used to say, your daddy has a Nokia. Yeah, we're rich like that. <laughs> How many of you remember those phones? But at one particular point, Android came and they stayed with Samsung. Was it Symbian or whatever? And then they tried, tried nothing. Now finally, Nokia has come back again after years when Android phones and the Samsungs and the rest have moved on. It's not first or second. It's not that place. It's very far, somewhere down there. In fact, when we see people holding Motorola, we fear a bit. Or if you find somebody with a Blackberry, some of them are even so a seed in them because it takes too much faith to have a Blackberry now. Somebody shout hallelujah. And let me tell you, to evolve is optional. To evolve is optional. More than it is circumstantial. Oh yes, prevenient grace can throw you in spaces where circumstances can, you know, blow you into evolving. But by and large, usually, God will give you the choice to stay where you are or move on. In fact, many people here, as I continue to minister, you realize that spiritually, the reason why the other aspects on your life are not moving as they ought, somewhere, somehow, you paused. You paused. Satan understands the power of evolving. He does. No wonder this whole theory of Darwin comes up. You know that in the beginning there was this big bang and an explosion took place in the universe. And some living things were created. And those living things, one after another, generation and time after generation and time evolved from one creature to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And from monkeys, we became human beings. So they say. But nobody can explain why human beings are not changing. We've stayed humans for this far. And I'll tell you the truth. If some of you study what is happening in these times, Satan is already constructing another version of human beings because he understands the power to evolve. That as the ages come, 
He knows that certain elements of your being cannot stand in certain ages. That is why now we are entering into the age of what they are calling transhumanism, where they are now starting to, you know, um, integrate human beings with artificial intelligence and robots. These movies used to watch of cyborg cop. They're coming. You know, there's this guy, Terminator. Remember that guy? Uh-huh. Now, we used to watch them as movies, but these are ideas because the arts are elements of shifting consciousnesses to prepare men for what is coming next, usually. But those without, you know, the eye to follow what is happening in the world, many of them cannot read what is happening. Now we are getting into gene editing and sequencing and now they're starting to create human parts out of metal and the next time, in a few years to come, you'll find people with almost every organ electric. The other day they made electric kidneys. I saw. It's a little small device. If somebody with kidney failure, they just plug it in and it works like kidneys. So you won't need to go for kidney transplants to remove a kidney from one man to another. Much as that is saving lives, we also have to ask the other questions on where does the devil think he's pushing human beings into. Now we're getting into human cloning. By 2030, they'll be able to make a human being out of a laboratory. They just need to take a strand of hair from you. And out of that, there's enough DNA to create a human being. Are you following what I'm saying? So these other sexual orientations as well that come with that, you know what that means. That now two women, you can get two strands from each and then create a baby for them. Are you seeing where we're going? Because Satan understands the power of evolving. The only challenge is that when you discuss evolving from the view or foundation of a fallen nature or world, they only evolve to destruction to create other or greater selves that again are to destruction and then evolving into greater ones to their own destruction because as long as anything is created within the fallen realm, if it has no own soul, if it has no seed of God in it, it carries no eternal strength or life. Are you following what I'm saying? So it's just the end of one thing into another and the end of one thing into another and the end of one thing into another because it has to go through what we call the cycle of life. And like the fallen world has its cycle of life, Christianity too has its own cycle of life. And if you study what you call the cycle of life in the world of man, it is from life into death. You see, that's the cycle from life into death. The end of it is destruction. Why? Because it's a fallen world. Now, when somebody has been tuned, wired, established in the fallen world, it is so hard to explain to them that that is not the cycle of life of a child of God. And as I continue to teach this, you'll understand what I'm saying. When God opens your eyes spiritually to really understand who you are, where you are, the other things happening that you have not probably been open to by the realities that can only come through revelation. It is easy for you to disqualify yourself. Yet even the visible things, the Bible says, of him are enough to redeem you from all manner of frustration, death, and trouble because they reveal the eternal power of God, even the Godhead, and push you to a place where you are not with excuse. Let me say, I'm stuck. Yet, even with the world you can see, I can prove to you by revelation that it's not possible for you to be stuck. By what we are able to interpret scientifically, geographically, politically, socially, or any other way. The Bible says in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, 22nd verse, he says, it is he, that God, that seated upon the circle of the earth. And I thank God that he used the word the circle. Because now that dispels those who think the earth is flat. Praise the Lord. 
And because you are in this circle of the earth, we have enough satellites now. And the other day I was watching a very nice documentary of the earth. And this is what I saw that intrigued me. This guy shows the earth and then they lift a satellite above the earth. And they're showing that from the core of the earth, the middle part of the earth, if you, you know, cut the earth in two half, in that center where the heat comes through, there's a hot liquid layer that sends forth a certain energy and power that goes out up to the atmosphere. And that energy and power has enough strength to push anything that could approach the earth to harm anything on the earth, the debris and any other things that would be falling. And it blows them off. So there is like an invisible yet energetic ring around the earth to protect the earth from the harms that might come from without. And this guy put a satellite on the earth and he recorded the voice of that energy. And you could hear the vibrations. Okay? That even by science, they can prove that there is a lot of power and a lot of energy in this atmosphere. Remember, if you are on top of the earth, it means even to be standing on the earth, sitting on the earth and you're balanced here, how much power and gravity you need to hold you to the earth's surface. That's amazing. But that's not what I want to show you today. I even want to amuse you the more. Why you cannot be stuck. Now, scientists will tell you that the earth itself, this while this place you're standing on, living on, or walking on, making babies and building houses and dreams and careers, this earth is moving. And all of you know that. And at the surface of the earth from the equator, which is zero latitude, that would mean you, you, you'd, 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 you'd count from, from where the latitude is zero. They tell you that the earth moves at the speed of 600 and 60 meters per second. That is about four and a half fields of length per second. Where you're seated, you don't feel it, but you're moving right now at 460 meters per second. And you are traveling right now at a thousand miles every hour. Every hour that you're spending from 6 to 7 p.m. this evening, you traveled 1,000 miles. But you can't feel it. But you can understand if those of you have been in a plane, right? There's a point where you're in a plane and you feel like you're in one place. Yet this thing is moving at probably 300 something kilometers. It's traveling at a speed you cannot imagine but you feel like you're in, just, uh, you're in just this vessel you're sitting. So there is a power and energy that is holding you still, not to fall at that speed. How can you be stuck? <laughs> who, who has understood what I just said? Even by science, you're not stuck. And yet on top of that, as the earth is rotating, and you are longer hurtling in, that, in space with the earth, the earth in its rotation is also moving around the sun in a circular orbit. So it's rotating, but as it is rotating, it's also what? Moving. And in its rotation around the sun, scientists tell you, it moves at a speed of nearly 30 kilometers per second. That vessel called us, 30 kilometers per second. 30, that is roughly 67,000 miles per hour. So you're on something moving 1,000 miles in rotation, and it's also moving in rotation at 67,000 miles per hour. Do you know how fast you're moving? When you imagine it, you even feel dizzy. So what is that power that holds you still and you sit in one place and it holds your buildings, it holds your skyscrapers, it holds the waters in one place, 67,000 miles per hour? Do you know how fast that is? And then you sit in one place and feel that you are okay. 
And then you go for counseling and say, Apostle, I'm stuck. Even the ground you're sitting on is not stuck. Put your hand on your head and say, I cannot be stuck. So, why would a man think they're stuck? It is because they're ignorant of where they are and what is happening. It's because they don't know the reality. When I saw this, I was blown away. Why? Because when you read the book of Enoch, God literally takes Enoch off the earth and takes him outside the surface of the earth. He studied these cataclysmic reactions of weather. The aggressive and changing tectonic plates, my God. Enoch saw the portals that bring the sun, the 12 gates that bring the moon and where the stars come and rise from. And for, my goodness, this guy moved. No wonder when he returned on the earth, he couldn't die. There was just so much on that man that the Lord had to take him. He was not. So in the knowledge of God, God opens his eyes to see even what normal human beings are not able to deduce, to interpret, to see. Now, if the world is moving at that speed, the earth is moving at that speed, on its own rotating, but also moving in rotation, and circular around the sun, you cannot tell me that he has designed you not to have some sort of movement in life. And I mean forward, because the sun never moves backward. So when God designed that law, that's why you see the portion of scriptures like the path of the just shine brighter and brighter and to a perfect state. That was a clue to the man whose eyes should see finally that every day there is a law that is moving you at the speed. And thank God the Bible says you're there light of the world. So that means by definition, you're moving at the speed of light. The first Adam was a living soul. The second Adam was a life-giving spirit. And I thank God that that living spirit is a quickening spirit. A quickening spirit. A quickening spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? That means there's something God designed inside you to move at a unprecedented speed. It's that which makes you the head and not the tail. It's that which sets you above and not beneath. Why? Because when you run, you're always fast. The moment you decide and say, I am going to run, you will be fast. Every time you say, let's ascend, you'll be above. You'll be the head, ahead. Why? Because there's a speed that is advantaging you beyond any man that walks the surface of this earth. I'll ask every man to shout, I cannot be stuck. So there's something that is favoring even that statement you've said. The demons in hell have woken up. Some of them are like, what? Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, the pressures of 2023 are going to be harder than the pressures of 1992. That's all right. I still have the grace to move faster than the fastest man known on the surface of this earth. To God's speed is nothing. Remember a man like Elijah, after praying, this guy starts running and he runs faster than a horse. And the Bible says, and Elijah was a man of like passions. That means he was exactly like you. Did everything you do. Only more prayerful. Are you following what I'm saying? But he tells a man, you get your horses and run because me, the speed I'm moving at. It's not the speed you're moving at. Somebody shout hallelujah. And that man walked this earth with you and I. How can we be slow? We cannot be slow. Today I came to provoke you to adapt to the speed God has designed for you. That is why after this service, don't be shocked that somebody is going to take off. shocked. Somebody seated next to you. Something is going to happen. Not might, not may, not could. Something is going to happen by reason of this. And it's going to change the neighbor you're seated next to. Unless you're the neighbor I'm talking about. 
There was a time we got to a point where they told us Google is the answer. All of us knew Google answers. Now this man designed something called GPT. If Google doesn't evolve, history like we know it has come to an end already. Oh, there's somebody in this world who even doesn't know what I'm talking about now. Because even their phone, that little phone, the Katochi, is disturbing them. But don't worry. God still has a plan for you. <laughs> Glory to God. He's no respecter of persons. Whether you went to school or you didn't, God doesn't care. Just connect to this thing and say, God, in whatever this man is speaking, I am a part of it. In Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. Like the earth is moving in its rotation, circular, like, like it's moving around the earth, circular form. So it is with the world. Everything spiritual. In Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, that which has been is now, and that which is to be has already been, and God has required that which is past. He's saying that the world, the cycles of life, spiritual also move in circular. However, the difference between the fallen world and the world of redemption or eternal realm is this. The fallen world, the cycle, is either moving in one place to carry repetition of that which destroyed, stole, or killed, or even worse than the last experience. The spiral is going downward like that until destruction. Because it's the way of the fallen world. For us, this cycle is that which was, is, shall be, and God requires of that past again, it's coming back. But whenever it comes back, it comes back in a higher ring of circle than the circle before. So that's why I'm telling you, when we talk about revival, we are not talking about what you saw in Azusa. We're not talking about what you saw in the healing revival days. We're not talking about what you saw in Topeka, Kansas City. We're not talking about what you saw in the charismatic movement. We're not talking about what you saw in the holiness movement. We're not talking about the 1500s of Martin Luther and the 95-page thesis. All of those were wonderful moves and reformation. But what God is trying to do in our time, I has not seen ear has not heard, has not entered the hearts of men. Don't believe God for what you saw on Apollo or Paul. Don't ask God for what you saw on St. Peter. Ask God for what Peter would look at in heaven and say, wow, I wish I was in. And that's what the Bible says. And all of these walked with a promise, but they could not be made perfect without our testimony. Peter did things and God says, no. You have not seen Apostle Grace yet. Put your name. Hebrews 11, begin from verse 39, I believe. And these all, read, having obtained a good word, report through word, faith, received not, uh-huh, God having provided some better thing for that they without us, should not be made powerful. Do you know a man once stopped the sun? And God said, that man is imperfect without what you're going to do. Oh, Somebody shout hallelujah. He's saying that man is imperfect when we compare him to what you are supposed to do. He cannot be complete without your testimony, but you're still begging for rent. You're still believing God for fees. You're still believing God for hair money. You understand what I'm saying? You're still believing God for a promotion so that they can add your pay with 200,000. So they say, but apostle, that is how the world works. Yes, not the kingdom. Hey, allow me, allow me, allow me to to demystify some things and unscrew some dead doctrines and traditions and try to set you to a place where you're going to start walking like a mad person, not because you're mad, no, but because you've come out of control of the madness of fallen men. One literature writer wrote that when the madness of an entire nation disturbs the solitary mind, not enough to say the man is mad. When God opens your eyes to really where he is, some of you are going to start to look like you're mad. You're going to talk like madmen. You're going to walk like crazy people. Uh-uh, already. 
How many people here have heard in a rumor that somebody has said about you that it seems you're losing you? There's a person in this ground in our first days of preaching the gospel. He sat down another person and said, grace is going to run bad. They were concerned about me. They sat down and discussed, eulogized about me. He just looks at me and he feels so sorry. Now he's in Fanero also. <laughs> he's following mad men. Somebody shout hallelujah. So recently we were meeting and I told him, remember you used to call me crazy? And he says, Munangi, I'm also crazy now. This thing gets, the gospel is foolishness. To them which are perishing. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. So, understand when we say things that are impossible. When we start to speak things that look like they don't belong to this world. We are already not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. God is raising a generation that is going to speak at the speed of light. Pray at the speed of light. Build at the speed of light. Innovate at the speed of light. Invent at the speed of light. Think at the speed of light. Preach at the revelation of the speed of light. Demystify mysteries at the speed of light. Some of us by the spirit, we are functioning and speaking quicker. We are dressing in multi-dimensions than you see in the flesh. There's a picture I pray to God I one time show you. One time I was preaching and a cameraman took a picture of me and four images, all with different actions were formed in one picture, which is not possible. Why? Because some of you, you think you're human. You're not, you're more than human. You are a son of God. Everything you do is multiplied in many forms and patterns and degrees and dimensions. You're not only what men see. As I'm speaking right now, there's somebody with demon possession, they're being delivered. There's somebody who has received a vision, the power of God is coming upon them. There's somebody with a tumor, it has disappeared. There's somebody with ulcers, the body has healed. This word is not static, it is dynamic. He says the word of God is quick and active. And the Bible says it's dynamic in its nature. It's dynamic in its nature. Read Amplified. It is dynamic in nature. It's dynamic. So I can preach right now and somebody's getting a promotion but in the very word, somebody's getting their first house. In the very word, a minister's marriage is getting healed. In the very, very word, a man's ministry is getting resuscitated and rejuvenated and revived. In the very word, a nation is being transformed. In the very word, somebody's mind is being converted in this very, very word. Let's read it. Hebrews 4.12. The word that God speaks is what? Is alive and what? And full of what? Power. Making it what? Active. What? Operative. Uh-huh. Energizing and effectual. operative. It is active. It's not static. It's not stuck. So every time you hear the word, there is a power moving you to the next level. Every time you're around true revelation, there is something propelling you to the next phase of your destiny. The deeper you're able to lean in, the quicker you move. Somebody shout Hallelujah. Our spirals go up. But it's a revelation. Our cycles are from life to life. Not life to death. Grace upon grace. Why is it upon? Because the cycle has gone up. 
has gone up. Faith upon faith. Because the cycle is going up. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, that the way which leads unto life, few find it. Because the fallen world reveals the ways that are unto death. It can only reveal the cycles of endings that come unto death, not into life. If you understand this, Matthew 7, 14, nothing about you will die. Let me tell you, until Christ is back, somebody will be listening to my sermon somewhere in the world. That one I know. <laughs> I'm not boasting. I'm just speaking the truth. Somebody somewhere will dig out my CDs and get an inspiration. Why do you think what Paul spoke hasn't died? Because there is no law that can kill the revelation on Paul. Yet he was building the foundation. Now what about us which have gotten the opportunity of building from the foundation going high? What do men see? The building. What God has given us as an opportunity in this world will make our message more visible. Because people don't live in foundations, yet they need them. People live in buildings. They say, take heed how you build. Refuse to die an ordinary woman. Ask God for something that will stay. That if Christ is not yet back for thousands of years to come, there will be something with your signature and identity. A proof and mark that at one point in a certain dispensation, there was a man, there was a woman that washed the surface of this earth and he knew God in such a unique way. Somebody say, that's me. That's why 2 Corinthians was written. Chapter 3, verses 18. The face must be open. We all with open face. What does it mean to open the face? Because every time Moses is read, the Bible says, the veil up to today covers them. Every time Moses, 2 Corinthians 3.15, even unto this day, when Moses is read, not if, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. They're not able to see and conceive, perceive as they ought to. Every time Moses is read, they're blinded. Because by Moses we understand that no man can be justified in the flesh. It's again the end of that death. And Moses, by scripture, he foresaw and understood as a man who taught and gave the law, but a man which lived above it. That is why he says, this book of the law shall be a witness against you. It is against us. He didn't include himself in that mystery because he's a man that lived above the law. He understood the righteousness of faith and not of works. In Deuteronomy, he speaks of how the righteousness of faith speaks this wise. And in the New Testament, Paul gets that very portion of scripture and says the righteousness of faith speaks this wise. In other words, he quotes the very words of Moses speaking about the justification which is of faith and not of works. Moses saw that mystery and then he agrees with God. God tells him, you know what? Prepare them to the end that by the law, no man is justified such that we get to the point where there is a need for a savior, inevitable that all of them will turn with the knowledge that nobody can please me through the works of the law. And Moses fulfilled his part and then sat here to wait for the manifestation of the Spirit of Christ. That consecration began while he was still in Egypt. The Bible says that Moses refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, esteeming Christ's greater riches than the pleasures of sin for a season. So the Bible says he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Hebrews eleven twenty six 26 says, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. He even saw the death, the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these two agree and they say, you know what? You bring the law, show them that they can't. So when I come with grace, they know where to begin from. And a man up to today is stuck in Moses. Now, if they cannot understand that simple analogy, 
They can't understand how wealth comes. They can't understand how divine health comes. They cannot understand how the mystery of multiplication, not addition, multiplication works. They cannot understand how revelation is given. They can't understand how the spirit realm is ranked. They can't understand identity. So they are prodigal. As being prodigal, they carry no character spiritually. You understand what I'm saying? They cannot understand the patterns and principles, the dimensions that God has designed for every Christian to live not as a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. They cannot understand why God always causes us to triumph and makes manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. They'll fight with that word called always because they have to accept that in this life, it might work, it might not work. It might go, it might not go. You might progress, you might not progress. You have to be ready for anything that comes because you're a warrior and minister of the gospel. They get it wrong. But how can we explain it to them without helping them understand that a man who is veiled cannot preach Christ fully? Now you're living in a generation where a revelation of Jesus can take a man to school, a revelation of Jesus can make a man build a ministry, a revelation of Jesus can heal a man's body, a revelation of Jesus can give a man a job, a revelation of Jesus can settle them in marriage, a revelation of Jesus can take their children to America to study master's degrees and PhDs, but they have not yet encountered the revelation. And there's a difference. Because even the ministration of death the Bible says, came with such a glory that the face of Moses they would not look into. It shined. Well, the shining of that face was shining upon a man which was not a new creation. He was shining on a fallen nature. And because he was shining on a fallen nature, that glory could not be sustained. At a particular point, it would have to decimate and start to burn out. And as it's taken away, he has to turn. So they do not see him losing the glory. And many people live that kind of life where they shine one day and tomorrow it's down. The other day it's working, the other day it's not, you know. You live that life, it's up and down. It's like this. It's working, it's not working. It's moving, it's not moving. Because you have not yet beheld the full picture. Your eyes are not yet lifted to see that the field is ripe and ready. Every time your eyes are put low, you see the planting, the seeding, the plowing. You see the watering, but you forget that Jesus Christ is telling them, you are saying that there are four months, then comes the harvest. But it is because you're seeing them with a fallen vision. Your vision is corrupted. You think you need four months to get the harvest. You think you need five years to get the ministry. You think you need 10 years to build that radio. You think you need 30 years to build that company. And he says, but if you lift your eyes and look into the field and see what I've already done by my blood, you'll see that there is already a harvest. Some of us are reaping in a harvest of where certain men are planting because their vision has been corrupted. The veil covers them and they cannot see far. So by that reason, some of you are doing in 20 years, what young boys are doing in two days. Some of you are doing in 30 years. What certain women are doing in three weeks. Some of you are doing in a hundred years. What somebody is going to do in hours with God. Because you're still failed. Lift your eyes and see. You realize that it's a harvest. Every seed necessary has been planted by Christ as he became the ultimate seed. For Luke 8, 11 says that the seed is the word of God. And Jesus comes in the form of the word. For the word became flesh. And he dwelt among men and we beheld his only glory as the only true son of God, full of grace and truth. You're not going to plant more than that. Separate the plantings that give you nature and identity and the plantings that consecrate you into understanding. When Paul says, I have planted and Apollos watered, that is into understanding not the experience of defining your nature. That regenerated being, the seed was planted once. He's not going to bring another. Christ was that seed that was planted. But you see, if you don't see with open face, you're going to look at a process of what God already paid for. You're going to seek to do what already Jesus did. So you're not really going to do the work because you're going to do a work that was revealed to you by fallen vision. The indifference of men which are veiled, they gave you a tradition and a culture, a value system that looks accurate, not true. It's agreeable 
with life. You know, I love people who say, I love people who preach about real life. What is life? And when you ask them what is life, they tell you the life of men, fallen men. That's why the Bible says, when Christ, which is your real life, shall appear. When Christ, which is your life, our life is Christ. When we talk about that man preaches about things that touch real life, our life. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, 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 oh. Colossians 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, let's go. When Christ, who is our one, appears, then also you will appear with him in splendor and in glory. You realize he says something like, I see in parts and we minister in parts. But when the fullness has come and the part is dealt away with, then I shall know him even as I am known of him. That I will know God even as he knows me. I'm talking about your opinion about yourself, Sevaduka's daughter. I'm talking about God's opinion about you daughter of God. One day to wake up and understand that you'll never understand yourself until you understand God. Some of you are on a journey of self-discovery, but unfortunately, like the fallen world, you are defining your own truth. And I think that's the language you're hearing everywhere. It's on news, it's on television, it's everywhere. It's on, you know, social media networks, my truth. You know, everybody spoke whatever they spoke and I also had to express my truth. And then because of word phrase and it, you know, it sounds you know, nice in the mouth, like fresh bubble gum. Everybody borrows it because, yeah, and you're chewing it and it's going to run out because it's fallen. There is nothing called your truth. You don't have your truth. There's only one truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. We don't have any other truth. You don't have a truth. There's only one truth. That is Jesus. And probably it's a, it's a figure of speech, meaning their own version of the story. But as you continue to mature in God, you will not have a version. Because the time will come where you know nothing of yourself. That the only thing you can know of yourself is God version. Updated to the latest software. Paul says it is a small thing for me to judge myself. For I know nothing about me. I am dead yet I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. You get to a point where you are not conscious of yourself. That even when you walk into a hospital. And they told you have diabetes. You actually laugh it off. Because it will mean Christ has diabetes. Am I talking to somebody? It will mean Jesus has diabetes. And you see, you know why you're laughing? Because it's not possible. That's being acquainted with him. The Bible says, acquaint yourself with him. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, understand me when we say, but all of us with unveiled faces. A man who is veiled cannot see what I'm saying. They might even quote me for false teaching. That's all right, because they don't see. So he says, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of God, we are changed. We are changed. That's the word there. We are changed. And the word there for change is your Greek word metamorphosis. Your English word, metamorphosis. You remember in primary, the stages of a what? A butterfly. You understand? From what? Egg to lava to pupa to... You remember those things? Now, God is saying that that's how your spiritual life is. That every time you are translated, every time you are evolved as you look into the kingdom of glass... Something happens on you that changes you so much that they cannot almost identify your older version. This man went to the grave three days and when he came out, he walked with men and they could not identify him. The nose hadn't changed. The glory had changed. The eyes hadn't changed. The glory had changed. Somebody shout amen. Three days. Three days. Three days. Dates, and they can't recognize the very man who was with it. Let me tell you. God can put something on you that you will wake up one day and introduce yourself to your husband and he doesn't know you. 
somebody shout glory. Your parents and they say, is this our son? Is this the person who came out of my womb? Is this the woman that came out of my loin? Is this the person? Oh, now I'm prophesying on your life. They're going to say those things. This is the guy we were raised with. This is the woman I went to school with. This was a man whose border board I sat on. This was the brother who we used to pray with in Fanero. And you're going to tell them yes. Do you know there are many people who cannot identify some of you already? That you need to introduce yourself. Not because their memories are flawed. But because God has put something on you. That blasts every memory out of the proportion of normal interpretation. Mark 6 verses 3. This man does something. And they say, is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary. The brother of James and Jose, and of Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. They know the family. But now, something has happened on the man, and they're now trying to confirm whether these were his sisters. Some of you... You see, this someone is not going to give you a job. Ah, uh-uh, you're in the wrong someone. Hey, this is not the one for a job. We're not talking about job. We're talking about something that is going to throw you out of what people knew about you, about your tribe, about your color, about your age, about your skin, about your qualifications, about your potentials. Oh, Help me, Holy Spirit. God wants to do something in somebody's life this evening. Until even those with you start to ask, are you human? When you hear them asking, then you know, yes, you have evolved from lava to pupa. Eventually you fly. Tell your neighbor, eventually I fly. Pupas are stuck. At the pupa stage, it's like this. So that's why I said, even if you are here and you feel you're stuck, at least you're stuck in a stage. You're not stuck out of stage. These are the summons. These are the summons that help you break the skulls off you. These are the summons that help you peel that skin off you. Hey, hey, hey. Laugh at the devil. Ephesians says that you'll grow up into him. In all things. That's what it says. God wants you to grow up into him, not into an old man. No. He says that you may grow up into him in all things. Read it. One, two, three, let's go. Uh-huh. In which is even Christ. That you're going to get to a point and people can't call you your name anymore. That's our end. That's our end. The cycles are moving up until we all come to a place where somebody will say, I met Jesus. And they'll say, no, you met Lucy. And they'll say, no, it wasn't Lucy. I know Lucy and I know Jesus. I met Jesus. I met God and they'll say no you did not meet God you met Jimmy and they'll say no I know the difference between Jimmy and God I met God in the body of Jimmy <laughs> somebody shout amen my God my God my God my God my God my God Woo! I feel charged I feel charged. Oh my God. Oh my God. Somebody's changing shape today, spiritually. Your shape and countenance is changing. In fact, let me tell you this. In the New Testament, there's only one place where that word changed is. 
And it's in Matthew, I believe, 17, the third verse, second or third verse, which speaks of Jesus at the mountain and how his face was transfigured. The word there, transfigured, is metamorphosed. Now, there's a difference between what happened to Moses and what happened to Christ. Both of them, their faces shine. But for Moses, the end of that, the end of it, took him back to the version of being a fallen one. This one perfects the sun forever. It perfects the sun forever. Two men had similar experiences, but one had an elevated vision and experience and nature in that which he received. You see, follow the language here. Moses' face shined. In the New Testament, the Bible says he was transfigured and his face shined. You got it. In Moses' experience, the light only shines upon his face. In Jesus' experience, there's not only light on the man's face, but there's a transfiguration. There is a sort of conversion. There's a sort of element that elevates and transforms his being into a higher realm of himself. That's the difference between Moses and Jesus. With Moses, it only touches your confidence and disappears. With Christ, every time it comes upon you, it changes you. You're not the same man. You're not the same man. You're not the same man. Even this evening, oh. You see, many years ago, one time I remember I went into a meeting and this man of God was praying. Power of God hits me so hard. And I stand up and I couldn't walk. And, you know, I'm, I'm hit and I'm walking at the university. I was passing next to the chapel. And a young lady finds me like this and says, Oh my God, this guy's face is shining. Are you seeing? So there was a little altercation there. I, mean, I didn't know. I couldn't, I, I didn't identify it. But somebody was identifying it. And this person really, we were not close in any relationship or friendship. But they were saying something like that. Now, what happened after that experience for me was what I noticed in terms of the degrees of anointings in which I started to function in that were not usual because it's more than the face shining. It's the anointing that comes over you and starts to do things in your life and you can recognize that from that experience I had an encounter that elevated me or converted me to a certain realm of the demonstration of the power of God every minister and child of God knows that those consecrations come over the years and I have had several of them since, and I believe many of you can attest to those experiences, those days where God just comes and knocks you out. Not because you can't, you know, but there's something happening in your spirit. And you can tell from that effect that something throws you to the next place. You leap and feel like you're flying in a certain grace and, and glory like you've not been flying before. That is the experience of the new birth. That is what we call from glory to, from grace to, from faith to faith. You just die and burn out and the next day you're the same man. No. This thing cannot leave you the same. And the day it gets you, you can only wait for a higher one. These are the things that rank us and take us to the next level. If we were not evolving, we would not grow. And some of you are not evolving because if you really go back to the last time God really, really, really touched you, it's far for whatever reasons. Thank God for this word this evening. Let's just speak in tongues. If you don't have tongues, receive them this evening. Just open your mouth and start to pray. Oh. Thank you.
when the spirit takes over your soul. your mouth and speak to God when his power as your word has come this evening. We receive it with all meekness. And my heart's prayer this evening is that that same power that changes, elevates, converts, transforms, alters the destinies of men into higher versions of what God has designed them to be is here this evening and he's touching he's changing power of the Holy Ghost oh we speak healing on them that are sick. The version of you God has created is not to carry sickness. Every spirit of struggle and strife has been judged under this anointing. form of backslidedness and regression is judged this evening. Every slow movement is judged this evening. Slow progress. The hindrances of gates of brass, they have been broken. The walls that have been standing and hedges that have been built against Tonight we break them. The veil is rent into two. And vision is defined tonight. Give him a mighty praise. Come on. Come on. Now if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, wherever you are, you say today, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. I've believed with my heart and I'm confessing with my mouth from today that you are Lord and Savior of my life. I'm born again. 
Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.